0: Right. if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We will be in Acts 17. So why do what we did and then let's look at the Word real fast. And the reason being because I feel like it complements so much what we're going to look at this morning. It it will be able to just really shed some light on what... um, what our, what our students did uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, and I just feel like we can gain so much understanding from what they've said as well as what, as what Paul has to say here in Acts chapter 17. And So last week we see the church get started uh, in Philippine. If you have missed any of that talk, uh, you can go on our website and uh, catch up there. But um, this morning I was going to ask if you'll pray with me real fast, and then we'll, we'll jump into where God's got us this morning. Lord, love you so much. I thank you so much for the testimony uh, in this place this morning, God, of what you've done through these students, through these leaders, God, through this church. Jesus, we thank you, and God, we praise you for all that you've accomplished last week. God, the things that we'll never even be able to imagine. And so, God, I pray in these next few moments, Lord, that your word would uh, reveal things to us, God, that your word would convict and draw. And so, God, I just pray in this moment, Lord, that you would speak so much louder than words. God, make your presence known in this place. Holy Spirit, fill us with your presence. Holy Spirit, draw us to your side. We need you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to spend, like I said, just a few moments this morning looking at how Paul interacts uh, with a certain group of people. And so uh, last uh, last week, like I said, the leaders and the students they all uh, went with uh, as a group of people, uh, and they got to interact with some people. Some, as we heard, were believers. Some were not. And so uh, as those uh, leaders and students went uh, where they went, they met a certain need at a certain place, and they had a certain conversation uh, where people were at in those situations and circumstances. And so uh, I just want to again commend you and say this: you'll never know the impact that you had last week one at that camp can you imagine just fast forward maybe five years down the road the students that will be coming through that camp and in the summer just that's their summer camp or maybe a, a quick weekend getaway and you guys helped lay the foundation of what that place is going to be about the time that you spent praying there, the time that you spent doing the very heart of what that guy wanted to do in that place. And so you'll never know the impact you'll have uh, in helping him and that ministry kind of get, get off the ground a little bit. And then secondly, you'll never know the impact that you had uh, as you had a conversation with people. And those are the kinds of impacts that, that you may not know until eternity. The conversations, the way that you loved on people, maybe the way that you prayed for people. I mean, holy cow, you took a lady that wanted to go to, to a drama and you take her to this show about Easter, and as she goes to this show, she hears about Jesus, and as she hears about Jesus, gives her life to the Lord. I mean, so I mean, so the, the lasting impact that you'll have uh, through the Lord, you'll, you'll never truly know what God did through there. So I just, I just want to say thank you again, man. I can't, I can't harp on it enough or commend you guys enough for, for all that you've done. Um, and so today we're going to see Paul do the same thing. We're going to see Paul step into a group of people's lives and, and do the, pretty much the similar things there. I mean, he's familiar with the culture. He's familiar with these people uh, and, and where they're at. And so he goes, and he, he tells them, and he shares with them uh, the greatest need in their life. And so uh, I just believe that we can learn a ton from, from what Paul does, what Paul has to say uh, here uh, as he lives out uh, mission uh, with the Lord. And so Acts 17, starting in verse 16, and this, this is what God's Word says. It says, Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens... And so we need to understand something about... A about the, the context here. Athens uh, was a, the intellectual capital of the world. Just think like this. Think Oxford, Harvard, Duke, kind of Yale, all rolled into one. It, it was also the center for arts and athletics. So it was, it was a, just kind of an epicenter of the world right now. I know Rome is ruling, and, but, but, but um, Athens here was a huge place. It, it housed one of the world's largest stadiums for sports. It is actually the, the birthplace of what we know as the Olympics. And so that's where Paul's at right now. And look as the scripture continues to read. It says, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. And so there's this ancient saying in Athens here that you, you are more probable and able to find a God than you are a man. It's easier to find a God than it is a man. And so today here in Athens, uh, if you was to walk through the streets or if you were to look up pictures or do some research on Athens uh, you'd be able to see all of these different ruins. You'd be able to see all of these different um, uh, buildings that are just uh, in shambles and are just, uh, just torn down. You would be able to see all of those different places where these idols were housed. And so what we know about this culture, this world, is all of these people had Greek gods, and they had temples that were devoted to worship and to sacrifice. And so look at what he says in verse 17. It says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons. And So this is usually where Paul would start. He'd find a synagogue, and he would go and begin to talk about the scriptures, begin to talk about Jesus. And then look at the, at the remainder of that text. And it says this, and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. And so what we need to understand about this context is this, is that the marketplace in the ancient city was like a, a cultural center, this is where community was lived out. It's not just a place that you went and shopped, that you found your fruit, that you found food, different things like that, bought stuff. But it was, it was more than that. Community was lived out in these places, in the marketplaces. And so it's more than him just kind of being a creeper at Walmart, hanging around the cashier area, just waiting to kind of just engage people. There was more going on than, than just that. And so look at what verse 18 says. It says, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. So here are two different types of people that he has conversation with. Two different types of people that he engages in conversation. And so uh, the, the Epicureans were basically hedonists. And so they believed that, uh, that the gods were composed of atoms. And those atoms were so fine that they dwelt in spaces between the worlds. And so uh, the, the gods didn't care about the world. They didn't care how about, about how people lived. And, and so their whole heart, their whole mentality was just live it up. Do whatever you want to do. Life's young. YOLO. You only live once. Uh, live it up. Enjoy yourself. Anything goes. That was kind of their mentality, kind of their heart, where they were at. And then the Stoics, this other group of people, they're more, they're pantheists. And so they believed that God was in everything. Very, very similar to Hindus of today. Very, very similar to to that belief. And so they were all about self-control. They were all about um, uh, their idea was kind of this uh, uh, um, being able to not be perturbed. They didn't want to be perturbed. Just, just, just everything, just be even killed, Pain shouldn't bother you. Uh, pleasure shouldn't seduce you. Just kind of be even kill. Just, just be at that medium place. And so those are the two kinds of people that Paul gets to engage here uh, in, in this moment. And look at what they say about it. they say, some said this, what does this babbler wish to say? So, so they start to call him out, and as they start to call him out, they, they use that term babbler, and babbler is a very derogatory term. It, it's not a compliment. It, it means a, it's, the idea behind it is a bird that picks up seed and then spits it back out without digesting it. So it's just kind of like the, this bird, he just, he's just getting things, he's just gathering things, and so a babbler in this context would be somebody who would just ramble on about ideas who would hear something, not of their own, or wouldn't do the research to find out, but they would just hear things, and so what they would do is they would just regurgitate it. They would just, oh, well, I heard this, and so they would kind of take it as their own and claim it, and they would start to share and tell uh, a secondhand what they've heard. The thought really behind it would kind of be like a second-class mind. Unlearned, they don't know, they just heard something, and so they just, they just speak it out, throw it out there. And so I'm just going to be up front with you because I believe that's the way that the world looks at us as believers. Like we're uneducated, this whole Jesus thing, yeah, sure, whatever, that's crazy. That we're we're just second class minds, so we're going to get made fun of, we're going to be picked at. The the things that we stand up for is going to kind of be mocked, going to kind of be pushed to the wayside. And, And so as we see here in the scriptures, as we face that kind of persecution, as we face that kind of ridicule, as we see in this story today, the same thing happens to Paul, that babbler. I mean, that's the way that the world looks at us. We're just a bunch of uneducated, crazy people worshiping this, uh, this, this dead God. Well, news for you, our God's not dead. He's alive and well, and he's ruling and reigning. And so what we're saying is not just some, something we've just pulled out of nowhere, but we've got the very words that our God has spoken to us. And so they start to just uh, get on him. They start to just say those kinds of things. And then look, it says this. It says, others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And so just FYI, this is the exact thing that Paul does everywhere he goes. But nothing's changed. So they're saying he's out there preaching Jesus and the resurrection, that that's what he's doing. And, and so I just want to point this out because that's a great, great place for us to start. That, that's a great place for us to get to. So as you go on mission trips, as you live your life out, as you go to school, as you go to work, try to always turn the conversation to Jesus. Try to always get to that place. So how do I do it? I do it simply like this. My question is always this, um, and because we're in the South, and this is always kind of a safe question, an easy question, because usually the answer is pretty much across the board. I always start with, hey, do you go to church somewhere? And usually the answer is yes, and you know how I know the answer is yes, or the reason, one of the reasons why they say yes is exactly because of what we're going to celebrate next week. Everybody goes to church for Easter. Okay, not everybody, but most everybody's going to go to church for Easter, and, and so with that, so do you go to church? Yeah. I go at least two times a year. What about, I mean, they never go that route, but you know, that's their thinking. And so that's usually the way that I try to just kind of slip in. So I say, hey, do you go to church anywhere? And they'll usually answer that with a yeah, because we're in the South, and that's the good, right thing to do. Right, brothers, sisters? And so they'll say yes, and so then after that, that's, that's just my setup question, because then I've, I've got the knockout punch coming. So you go to church? Yeah. Awesome, where do you go? And that really lets me know, because if they can't answer the church that they go to, Okay, you're one of those. I don't say that; it's just in my head. And so, okay, cool, good. Yeah, preachers' names are hard. Miller. I mean, that's difficult, right? Um, Church names are difficult. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So, cool. You go to church, and so then the knockout punch is always this, because really, I don't, I don't, I do care if they go to church, but that's that's not the driving force behind the question. The driving force behind the question, because you can come to church and not know the one that the church is about. You can come to church and not worship the one that we're here to worship and lift high and make much of. And so my, my second follow-up question is always this. All right, so you go to church. That's awesome. That's great. So, so tell me about Jesus. Are you a believer? Are you a Christian? Have you put your faith and trust in him? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Tell me about that. What was that like for you? When, when did that happen? And I'm not aggressive. I'm not. I just want to find out. I, I'm just trying to do what Paul's doing here. I want to, I want to see where their heart's at. And I'm not, I'm not aggressive. I don't, I'm not offensive in that. But, but my whole line of questioning is to get us to the, to the real issue of the matter. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's getting to the real issue of the matter. He's, he's working in gospel conversation in church. I mean, that's as easy as it is. That, that's as simple as it is. And you go to church and you're, yeah, oh, cool, where at? And they tell you. Maybe they don't tell oh, I can't. I'm, we're, we're looking. That's always a good one. We're in between right now. We're praying through that. And then after I work through some of that stuff, I always try to land at the place. Well, tell me about Jesus. What do you think about that guy? Are you a believer? Are you a Christian? And that's what we see. And look, and look at what, as it, as it continues on the scriptures in verse 19, it says this, And they took him and brought him to are, Areopagus and um, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. And, and so historians say that, that these philosophers were always looking out for a, for a new God that they could add into their Partheon. And so this, really what this was, was an interview. Uh, does this new faith have the intellectual integrity to be added to the Partheon? Can we add this God into ours? Verse 20 says, For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the, and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. And so Paul, standing in the midst of Areopagus, says. And so what he does is he, he engages them with truth. And what we're going to see here is the outline of what Paul's going to say. These, these conversations would usually take uh, uh, almost hours. And so this is what Paul says. He says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. So Paul's noticing, he's taking, he's like, there's something about you. You're, you're religious. And so here in, the, in this uh, language here, whenever he says religious, it can have two meanings. It can either be superstitious or it can be spiritual. So it carries that double meaning. It, it could be negative or it could be a compliment. And so it doesn't take much to read into where Paul's at provoked in his spirit, seeing all of these, uh, uh, these houses where they house their gods, these temples. You're very religious is what he said. So you can see that meaning. He says this in verse 23, As I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription, To the unknown God. And so what this is, this is just simply a Hail Mary. This was just just there, just-in-case, God. We've got all of these gods that we're worshiping, all of these these idols that we've built, all of these temples that we have housing our gods, but just in case we've missed one, because they believe that you could upset them, that you could frustrate them, that you didn't want to do that because then that God wouldn't bless you, wouldn't pour out uh, blessings upon you, and so they have this one place just in case, God, here's to the unknown God. And so I just believe that this represents struggle, I just believe that this represents struggle and just shows that they're trying to figure out life. It just shows that they're trying to figure out things. Paul knew what the real struggle was. The real struggle was to figure out who the one and only true living God is. I mean, why else would they put the just-in-case God out there? He says, what therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. And so what Paul starts with is their question. Okay, I see all of these temples, I see all these places, all these gods that they worship. But I'm going to start with where they're at. And he starts. This, this is different than how he engages anywhere else. Anywhere else you see him engage with the gospel. You see him engage with truth. The Jews, he goes right at him, engages with, with truth and the gospel and who Jesus is. But for these guys, they don't accept the authority of Scripture. So he starts with their question. Now, Now look at what he does in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And so what he does is he points out their logical problem. He, he points out their logical problem with their approach to God, and he asks them, does all of this make sense? Is what you're doing make sense? This God who created everything, is it right for him to be contained in a temple or do you need to put food out for him? I mean, I mean he, he just kind of hits them where they're at. Is this, how's it working for you perhaps? And then look at verse 26. It says this And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. So two things we see here in in Paul's response. He's saying that the real God is not just some deity who is limited. He's not saying that he is limited. See, in their culture and in in their belief system, they had a God of the sea, they had the God of the Ephesians, they had Ephesians, they had the God of, of wealth, they have all of these different gods that they serve. And he's saying that the real God is the creator of the whole earth, the creator of all mankind, and there's only one living God. And then the second thing that he says here. Is, is this, is that the greatest pursuit in life is to find him. What you're really looking for is him and a relationship with him. Your greatest pursuit is to find him. And so for the Greeks uh, and, and Romans, gods were always a means to some other end. I'll give you an example. You have Artemis, who is the goddess of prosperity, goddess of money. So if you wanted to be wealthy, if you wanted to prosper, what you would do is you'd visit her temple and you'd make sacrifice or you'd give an offering there. You had Athena, the goddess uh, of wisdom and politics. And so if you wanted to be smart, if you wanted to have wisdom, what you did was you worshipped her. You give to her. And if it wasn't working, then you know what else you did? You just give a little bit more. You just give a little bit more. You just give more. You sacrifice more. You had Aphrodite, the goddess of of sexuality, beauty, fertility. And so all of these gods were a mean to something else. means to prosperity, to pleasure, to power, whatever that was important to them. And so Paul says that he... Is his own reward Jesus that is that God is reward enough whether he does anything for us ever again church God is enough the fact of the matter that he would send his son to die for us to take our sin and our shame upon himself that's reward Now he doesn't have to do a thing for us and that's what Paul is showing and that's what he's trying to teach them let them know you don't need to seek out something else for a means but, but let Jesus be enough and look at what he says in finishing that verse. He says, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him, he quotes here, for in him we live and move and have our being. And so this is very interesting because what Paul does here is this is actually a quote, not from the Bible. It kind of looks like maybe Old Testament kind of wordage, right? So, so you read it and you're like, oh, that has got to be some Old Testament prophet type thing going on there. But no, no, that's not it. What this is is a quote from a song written about Zeus in 600 B.C. So Paul quotes another person about Zeus. And even, he goes on and says, And even some of your own poets have said, For we are indeed his offspring. And so that was from a poem called uh, *Panania*, written by a Stoic poet. So Paul doesn't quote scripture. Paul quotes some of their, their philosophers or their people in their day. And what he is doing is this, is he knew their culture. So what he does is he shows them that they've kind of stumbled onto something. That they're heading down a path that's, that's getting them somewhere outside of themselves, but they've just got to get their eyes off of them. And that some of those people are asking the right questions. They're starting to say some of the right things. See, what Paul's doing is just simply this he's just showing them that there's this God sized missing piece in them. And they can create all these temples, they can create all of these idols, they can sacrifice all they want to all this other stuff. In church, we're no different, are we? We've got idols. An idol is a thing that you worship and long for and want more than anything else. And what happens is that becomes your God. And so that could be money. That could be uh, 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 prosperity. That could be your kids getting uh, whatever in sports. That could be, I mean, all of those types of things. I mean, we're no different. We've got arenas that will seat and hold 50, 60, 70, 80, 100,000 people. Come and watch a ball game. Give your life away to that. I mean, we see all of that. We're no different. And so what Paul's doing is just showing them, I hey mean, you're missing it. You're, you're onto something, but you're not quite there. Let me help you. Let me show you. And so he engages them where they're at. Exactly what you guys did this week. You went to where they were at, and you engaged the people where they were at. You sat down at the table, and you had conversations with them, asking them questions, sharing who you are and what God's doing in your life. Same thing that we need to do. Engage the people where they're at. And then look at the conclusion of this religious approach. Verse 29. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art of an imagination of man. And so what he's saying is this. is If God is the creator, you're foolish to think that you can reduce him to something that you can hold in your hands. And, and, and then what he does is he turns to the gospel. So he, he points out the reality of their problem. Okay, okay you're, you're trying to get there. But, but, but look, listen. Listen, and look at what he says in verse 3. He says, The times of ignorance of God is overlooked, which just means that God stayed involved, leaving you to your own adulterous area. He, he lets you do that. But, but I'm here to tell you that those days are over. I'm here to proclaim and to share. And look at what he says, But now he commands that all people everywhere repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he was given assurance. Assurance just means proof. To all, this is how we can know, and this is what we're going to celebrate like crazy next weekend, to all by raising him from the dead. What he simply says is this, man, Jesus has come. He is God. He's descended from heaven, and God has given us proof that he is the true God by raising him from the dead to life. He says, you're looking. I mean, I've got the very thing that you're looking for. We can knock down all this other stuff, and we can get right to it. Jesus Christ is the God that you're wanting to find. That's who you're working so hard toward. And hear me, you don't have to work to him. He come to you. You don't have to do all of this stuff. You just have to repent and believe is what he says. Turn to him. And then look at the outcome as we close. Now, when they had heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but some others said, we will hear you again about this. And so Paul went out from their midst, 34. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus and Arepagate. Uh, and a woman named Demarius and others with them. So as, as Eric comes back up here to, to lead us in a time of response, we see three reactions here. You've got those that mock. You've got those that are like, oh, okay, let me, I'll think about it. And you've got those who said, we'll join you. We're in. We'll do this. And so I want to look for just a brief second at the order of the last one. 34 says, but some men joined him and believed. I don't know if you picked that up. It it doesn't say believed and joined him. But it says that some joined him, became his disciples, followed him, listened to him, engaged him, and then what happens? They eventually believe. So some joined him and then believe. And so that's often that's often the case, right? Nobody here in the moment got saved on the spot. That is not what it says. It says that they joined him and then after they joined him they believed. I mean, I can imagine the conversations. They're coming out from this idolatrous uh, uh, nation, people. And so they follow him. I'm sure there's tons of questions. I'm sure there's all kinds of things that they need to be, they need to learn and grow from. And so they join him, engage him, and then they come to faith. And so for church, for us, that's, that's often the win. That's often the win in our world today. Maybe invite him and get him to come to church. We've got Easter next week. We've got handouts everywhere, a a borrowed tomb. That's the theme. That's what we're going to talk about and we're going to look at. What's the greatest need of every heart of every man in the world? Jesus. And and so what are we going to do next week? We're going to celebrate like crazy the reality of what what he's done and who he is. And so maybe for you this week, getting engaged in missions like our students is taking one of those cards and just inviting your neighbor. Say, hey, would you come? I I would love for you to be my guest sitting next to me. I believe that's the way that God grows a church. We engage those people in our life. We share with them. And so that's often a win for us, getting them to come to church. Or, or maybe you engaging them and starting to read the Bible with them. Maybe somebody that you work with has got tons of questions, and the way you engage them is just by asking, asking them, hey, would you, would you be willing to meet me for lunch once a week, and let's just talk. You start reading, I'll start reading, and we'll just converse. Maybe that's the way to do it all centered around the reality of the cross. I mean, there's tons of ways to engage people. And so we see Paul, just like you guys, go to a group of people. They went to, he went to people. He engaged them where they were at. Didn't judge them, didn't sh- shut them down, but instead engaged them, and he had the truth. He has the hope within him, and what he does is he starts to pull them along a little bit to the point of where some joined him, and as joining him, then they come to faith in Christ. So church, my hope is this morning is that you take hope in that, what we need to do is be willing to step out, be willing to be used, be willing to have conversation the difficult conversations, the tough conversations. That's as simple as it is. We see Paul care enough for people and the souls of man to engage them. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what maybe God spoke to your heart in this place this morning. But I'm going to ask you, man, if you would stand and respond however God leads it in your heart. Eric's going to lead us in a song of response if you want to come pray. If you want to come have more conversation about the gospel, if you want to come, if you have any questions at all, man, however we can serve you in growing in your relationship with Christ, we want to do that. God, we love you. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time this morning, all that you've shown us and opened up our eyes to the reality of. God, I pray you bless this time. Lord, I know we've went through the scriptures quickly, but God, I pray that in this moment, Lord, that your word would permeate our hearts. God, I'm sure right now that that every one of us in this room could think of one person that we need to have gospel conversation with. So, God, I pray this week that we would step out of our comfort zone, meet them where they're at, put our arm around them, and start to love on them like you do. Jesus, we love you and we need you. In name we pray. Amen.